The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and leased it to tenants and went to another country for a long time. When the season came, he sent a slave to the tenants in order that they might give him his share of the produce of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Next, he sent another slave. That one also they beat and insulted and sent away empty-handed. And he sent still a third. This one also they wounded and threw out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they discussed it among themselves and said, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Heaven forbid! But Jesus looked at them and said, What then does this text mean? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the scribes and chief priests realized that he had told this parable against them, they wanted to lay hands on him at that very hour, but they feared the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Whether you like it or not, or whether you know it or not, Easter is two weeks away. Easter is two weeks away. And I myself was thinking about this and realized that really, if you haven't begun to think seriously about what you need to do for Easter now, you will be too late when the passion begins after Palm Sunday. And these are thoughts related primarily to this particular form of preparation. And I think that you heard what I said in the prayer as we started uh, this, this sermon. I want to know Christ. This is Paul speaking. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. And that, I think, really is our, our Easter goal. It's to understand that we must move from one place to a place at the bottom of the cross. And then that allows us to understand why the resurrection is so wonderful. But, but first, we obviously have some baggage that we have to drop off as it were, uh, if for us to really understand what's going on. And, you know, really, it's all about me. That's the problem. It's always all about me. Now, we can't be blamed too much for this because 
our first parents, Adam and Eve, were thrown out of the garden because why? Why were they thrown out? Not just because they wanted to know in an innocent way what the difference was between good and evil. No, it's because they wanted to be as gods. God said there can't be three gods in Eden. Out you go. And from then on, from then on, we have struggled with this problem of putting ourselves before everything else. In fact, it's so common that we don't even really think about it. We have to be, uh, it, it takes a lot of work to understand that some of that has to go if you're going to be able to open yourself to God, the resurrected Lord. Now, the lections today and the psalm today, I think, provide us with some very challenging uh, material. Uh, the colic, for instance, starts right out. Grant us, please help us, Lord, to love what you command and desire what you promise. That wouldn't be in the prayer if we were okay, right? It wouldn't be. It just would not be. So we've already got some instructions. Then we turn to Isaiah. And remember, this is what they call Deutero-Isaiah. This is, this is the Isaiah who wrote during the time of the exile when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and in 586 sent a group of Jews to Babylon. And there they stayed until 537, when they were freed by Cyrus II, who was a Persian. When he, in fact, conquered this particular area of the Middle East, Cyrus became the greatest ruler of all time, only to be superseded later by Alexander the Great. But in any event, people seem to think, oh, those naughty Assyrians, they, they dragged off the Jews and threw them into Babylon, and there were all these restrictions, and, you know, Nebuchadnezzar was an evil man. Well, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar was just as much an instrument of God as was Cyrus. Why? Because Judah, there wasn't even an Israel by that time, had descended into behaviors which were totally unacceptable to the children of God, to the children of the covenant. And so that had to be cleaned away. That was the past. And now we hear in Isaiah this business about, number one, appealing to the original exodus and the original relationship that God had with his people appealing to that which was better. And he was rejecting, of course, that which had most recently occurred. But now, everything was different. And there was going to be, if you will, a second exodus. And that exodus was the return uh, to uh, Jerusalem and the rebuilding of the temple, uh, which, uh, in fact, Cyrus helped with. He handed out a lot of the silver which had been confiscated uh, at the uh, destruction of the temple, and he sent workmen to help them uh, build uh, the second temple. Um, and all of those things, I think, add up for us uh, to this uh, willingness to be aware that uh, while former things uh, have a role in our lives, they certainly do, 
we have to be able to put those to one side uh, to let God come into us and direct us in new ways. And I would say, again, if, uh, you know, if essentially it's uh, me versus J.C., it's uh, or a.k.a. Jesus Christ, um, we are much more tempted, I think, to follow ourselves and to uh, in some way erect ourselves as as God, as the one in control. And so this kind of process that we're talking about is absolutely, uh, absolutely necessary. Um, our psalm repeats this again. Now, this was also a post-exilic psalm. It was written just after uh, the people of Israel returned from exile. And you can tell that there's this very uplifting and powerful uh, attitude in the text. Except, except at the end where it acknowledges the pain and the difficulty that the people of Israel had and that it was necessary. It was necessary. Those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed, the seed, the seed is our belief, our belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. Their belief that Yahweh was really their God. That's the seed, but it's germinating. It's not alive yet. And then we'll come again with joy, shouldering their sheaves. Now the, now the seed has been planted and they've had a harvest. And they bring that back with them. But to enter, to enter that state, there is this, uh, maybe we pass over it too quickly, but there has to be a time when we look within ourselves and say, uh, we must try to restrain ourselves or we must try to do things differently. Because remember, saying you're sorry, saying you're sorry is not the same as living a life of repentance. That is different. That's doing, doing. And that is, I think, far more uh, important than saying, gee, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to crash the car up. I, I mean, it, it, you understand. It's like, uh, it, it's, it's a way of actually being where we understand, where we really understand what it means to be perhaps sad. And we're trying to do something about it by living a different kind of life. So that's something for us to hold on to, to say, what could I do in my life uh, to show that I was less selfish? Really, it's, it's really simple uh, to understand. Of course, it's impo almost impossible to do. But that is what we are called to do as Christians. Otherwise, what's the resurrection all about? It's about a whole new promise of life, which we could barely understand in our darkened state. Now, Paul, Paul is we can all tell, a very enthusiastic spreader of the gospel. And here he's talking to the people of Philippi, who um, uh, are, he, he's in Rome, by the way, at 62 A.D., and he's been thrown into jail uh, uh, for, his, for, for betraying the emperor and refusing to, to worship other gods. But he is a Roman citizen, so they can't really do too much to him at first because they don't have a lot of proof uh, that he was actually uh, refusing to worship other gods. At least not then. Unfortunately, in 67 A.D., um, 
they cut his head off. That, by the way, that's a prerogative. That's an honor if you're a Roman citizen. They get to chop your head off. And he, his was chopped off in the Ostian way in Rome. Uh, that's instead of being thrown to the animals, etc., etc. But in 62 AD, he's sitting in prison, and they're not bothering him. And he's writing this letter to a group of people, all of whom, by the way, are also Roman citizens. And they are Christians, and they are new in the faith. And perhaps there are some Christians there that are uh, very zealous, or uh, they're interpreting things uh, very closely. And they're sort of saying, if you don't do things the way we do it, we're throwing you out. Oh, that sounds a little familiar, actually. Um, But the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is that uh, Paul is, st- is saying how, how desperate he is, how desperate he is uh, to worship the Lord in a sacrificial way. And uh, I sort of like to think of, of Paul uh, as he says here, um, uh, nor have I already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. That's straining. You know, I think of this bulldog with, uh, with, with a leash on him. And he is pulling and pulling and pulling. And he's trying to get out of that leash. He's just desperate to get out of it. And he's being pulled back by himself. And maybe, maybe on that collar there are, there are seven studs. Uh, and and those, those studs are sloth and greed. Envy, lust, anger, gluttony, and pride. The seven deadly sins, which are all, I think, ways that we indulge ourselves and erect ourselves as God. And Paul is saying, no, no, I'm going to push away that stuff. That's the past. I don't want anything to do with that. I want to be with Jesus. And really, his letter to the Philippians, which was to fight against people who were saying, oh, no, there's only one kind of Christianity. And by the way, that was Judaized Christianity. Everybody had to be circumcised. You had to be a Jew. And then you could be a Christian. Uh, And Paul was saying, I don't want to have anything to do with that. That's ridiculous. And uh, we could do well to pay attention to that kind of comment uh, in the Episcopal Church today, or I should say in the Anglican Communion today as well. So there are these ideas then about how the past is useful, but you can't count on it all the time. You have to have a future. And I would say that human beings and selfishness is sort of like this past. You always go back to what you know best, and you know you don't think about things, you don't worry about things that are not, uh, that are not sort of bothering you. And if you hold on too much to the past, then disasters happen. Uh, like, for instance, what about the First World War? Now, that's a good example of a disaster Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men were killed. Why? Because their commanders had a concept of the strategy of war which was totally inappropriate for what was going on uh, in 1914. And as a result, these men all died. And then also, if you're thinking about, you know, well, but that doesn't matter. There was a good, clear resolution uh, to the First World War with excellent, uh, excellent treaties, etc. You know, nonsense. It was a complete mess, again, because people didn't understand statecraft. 
And without trying to be too controversial, uh, I would say that America's statecraft, that is the ability to travel and listen to other peoples, has been frozen in a Cold War crypt of behaviors so that we used to understand secular ideologies very well and how to deal with them. We have no idea how to deal with religious ideologies and the political problems that they prevent. And so we find ourselves in a huge mess. I think that's also because you can't overcome the history of the past. Now, I'm not trying to say that the past history is bad. It's just that you have to use it as a platform on which to build something. So Paul is saying that. He's saying, I'm going to move on, you know, but, but I understand. He liked being a Roman citizen. There were a lot of things he liked that were from the past. But you have to be willing to change. That's what Paul is saying here. And then finally, uh, in, our, uh, in our lection uh, from Luke, we have uh, some ideas about basically what happens when you hold on tight and you hold on tight. And what, what I think happened here is that the tenants, you know, they started off with a thing where they're saying, you know, um, you know, this is not this is not convenient. We don't want to pay rent. I mean, come on. You know, that's ridiculous. You know, uh, this person doesn't even live in this country. How could we why should we bother paying rent? And then and, and you can tell things sort of escalate. And I believe that once you start doing something evil, even though you say, oh, it's only a little bit of evil. What happens is you get overtaken by evil and then you do something truly horrible, like murder. I mean, think about Germany in in, in the Second World War. There was really quite a bit of contention about the final solution. Uh, Having said that, it's true. Towards the middle and end of the war, people were working on the the whole mechanics of it, et cetera, et cetera. But that wasn't always the truth. And I believe that what happened is that they started with evil and of course there was no there was no stopping it there was no stopping it it consumed them and it crushed them and it destroyed a powerful and I think wonderful nation absolutely decimated it because they got caught up in evil so I think this first part of this story is watch out you have to try to live a virtuous, decent life. You know, you really do. You have to live a life where you're not thinking about yourself, what you're thinking about trying to share, trying to be humble, etc., etc. Because if you don't, if you don't, then things where you just thought you were cutting a little corner, they lead to worse things. And, and that's the truth, I think, in people's lives. You end up much worse than you thought you were going to be. And then finally, after the story, because... This, that's a general interpretation for us. But, of course, Jesus wasn't fooling around. He said, you know, he was saying, Yahweh tried by sending you the prophets, by speaking to you through history, by doing all sorts of things to help you get back on the right way. And you didn't. You didn't do it. You know, that's the story. That's what really irritated the scribes and the Pharisees. And then Jesus says, he quotes Psalm 118, verse 22. And that's where he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And that's actually a threat. That's a threat to the Pharisees. And that, that frightens them further. Um, remember that what is the 23rd verse of Psalm 118? 
This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, changing over, moving on, destroying what was there, because we have a better knowledge, a a greater love than, than what was there before. And so, in conclusion, I think that we need to bring our attention back, it won't be hard, will it, to ourselves, and think a little bit about how we can prepare for the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And maybe read this particular flyer a couple of times. I think Paul is pretty good. He says, listen, you've got to get into it. You've really got to get into it. By praying a little more, by thinking about what, you know, what can I do to be more of a, of a Christ-like person? That's what they're at. That's what this challenge is all about. And I, I virtue to say that, you know, if we give it a try, then, uh, in essence, uh, you know, we all have a lot of weeping in our lives. We really do. Life is not easy. But if we're really willing to carry the seed of Christ's love, then we will come again with joy shouldering our sheaves. Hallelujah. Amen.